Um, I know probably every preacher is going to say what I'm getting ready to say here, but I really believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Yes. And I believe that God says what He means, and He means what He says. You know, there are a lot of people that are trying to make excuses for not believing or not obeying the Scriptures. But I tell you, we need to come to the place in our lives where we believe it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say to me, well, I believe the Bible, but... I'm going to tell you, they need to get off that but right now. That's not where you need to be. I I believe the Bible and I'm going to do what it says no matter how I feel. I remember years ago, this is back in about 1998, I think, um, there was a line of thunderstorms went through Alabama and a tornado touched down in Birmingham, Alabama and destroyed a whole area of town. And so I'm not one to watch the national news a whole lot, but I happened to be watching the ABC News that night and they were talking about this tornado that touched down and destroyed a great part of Birmingham, Alabama. And they interviewed a preacher on the news who said to them, the tornado hit on a Wednesday night, and this was the next day, and the preacher said he told them that the Lord told him to not have church on that Wednesday night. And uh, so the tornado came, and I mean it totally wiped out their church. And had they been there that night, they would have all died. But he he said the Lord, when he said this, this was this was the, the, the African-American part of town that this, that this storm went through. And he just happened to be a black pastor. And he said the Lord told him to call his elders. It was a black Lutheran church. And he told his elders, he said, we're not going to have Bible study tonight. And they said, why not? And he said, because the Lord told me. So they didn't like it, but they didn't have it. And then they were happy after that. <laughs> well, as I'm watching it on television, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, go help that man. And I said, okay. So I got a plane ticket the next day, I think, and flew to Birmingham. I called him first. It took me a long time to find out how to get in touch with him because I had to go through ABC News to figure it out. But I flew down there. I met. He picks me. No, I rented a car. I went to see him. And so we looked at the damage, and it was devastational. And I asked him, I said, so the Lord told you not to have church? He said, yes. And he said, he said, um, he said yeah, the elders didn't believe me. But, uh, you know, they went along with it. And I said, well, do they believe you now? And he said, I don't know if they believe me or not. He said, but I'll tell you an interesting story. He said, there's a man in our area, and he, he is kind of like a, an apostle in the area. He can go to any church, doesn't matter the denomination, and he can speak, and he can, uh, and he can they give him an opportunity to speak wherever he goes, and he prophesies to the people. He said he came to our church the previous Sunday and he stood in front of the congregation and he said, he prophesied and he said, a whirlwind is coming. And they're all going, oh, hallelujah, amen. (laughs) (laughs) And so he prophesied that a whirlwind would come to this church. And I said, wow, I'd like to meet this man. He said, well, He's 96 years old, and he said he, he he prophesies in all the churches. And I said, okay, can you take me to see him? And he said, yes, I can. So he takes me to this man's house. We walk up to the door, 
We knock on the door. The man opens the door. I've never seen him before in my life. He's got a voice like James Earl Jones. And he looks at me and he said, i never forget this. He looks at me and says, don't play with the word of God. Well, I didn't think I was playing with the word of God, quite honestly. But I said, yes, sir. And so we talked for a few minutes and, and he, he was 96 years old, but he looked like he might have been 70 years old. He, he was he was healthy. He was in his right mind. He was he was he was just a specimen of the Lord. And I looked at him and I said, I said, I said, tell me this. How are you so young and active at 96 years of age? He said, I don't play with the word of God. <laughs> and I thought of that over the years. Too many Christians play with the word of God. Too many Christians have this pick and choose of what I'm going to believe and what I'm not going to believe. I decided many years ago I either have to believe it all or believe none of it. Because I don't know who has the authority to decide what parts of the Bible God means and what parts he doesn't mean. And so I had to come to the decision in my own life, just, just as an individual, not even as a preacher, that I had to decide, do I believe it or don't I? And I chose to believe it. I was in a terrible place in my life. I read a passage of Scripture, and when I read the passage of Scripture, I realized my life didn't meet up with the Scripture, and I remember talking to God, and I, I said, either my life is a lie or your word is a lie. And I decide this moment that your word is true and that my circumstances are lying. And I began to believe His word. And I, I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time and thought I believed the Bible, but realized I didn't believe all of it. And I chose that night to begin to believe it. Whether I understood it or felt like it, I was going to believe what God said. I'll tell you, that's, that's the key for successful Christianity, is believing what the Bible says. I believe it. God is not ignorant. He's, he's not up in heaven trying to speak a language we don't understand. He's working overtime to help us understand what he said. And he wants us to believe it. I know this. The devil knows if you believe it or not. Do you know the devil knows if your faith is real? He's been studying humans for thousands of years now. And he's been watching and he can tell whether or not we really believe the word of God. He knows that. See, faith, real Bible faith comes from the heart and not the mind. Does that make sense what I just said? Here's what the scripture says. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made to salvation. See, we, we understand if we believe something in our heart, it will make its way to our mouth. Whatever we believe in our heart, we will eventually say out loud. When we believe it, Jesus said, he said that, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak because what I believe is in the heart. Now, I can fake it with you for an hour, but I can't fake it 24-7. And what I say 24-7 is what I really believe. That's what I believe. You ought to be around my house sometimes because Tammy's even more of a stickler at this than me. And she'll, she'll say to me, I'll say something, she'll go, well, is that what you want? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak, and a good man out of the good treasure brings forth good things. And an evil man out of an evil treasure brings forth evil things. In other words, we produce in our lives what we say with our mouth because we believe it in our hearts. All right? The devil understands that. He, he hangs around you when you're not talking 
Christianese to other Christians. He knows what you're saying. And he can tell if your faith is real or if it's false. I mean, I'll tell you, the only way to get the Word in our heart is to meditate in it. The word meditate means to mutter, to utter, to speak to yourself over and over again. Meditation is the most powerful thing that you can do with the Word of God. Let me, let me, let me say this. This, is, this crowd's old enough. If I say this, Winston tastes good like a... Everybody knows what it said because you sang the song. You meditated in that commercial. I remember being a little boy. My mom smoked Winston, and I thought that was a great song. And so we would sing, Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. And we sang it all the time. All right? And so did you. And that's why you know what it says. Okay. I mean, you knew when to clap. I didn't clap, but you knew what to do. If we take the Word of God and we do the very same thing with the Word, that's what's going to revolutionize our life. Taking it, muttering it over and over again. The devil has tried to take over music because he understands that music is a way of meditation. He's tried to take over the whole musical industry because he knows if he can get us to sing about murder, to sing about drugs, to sing about sex, to sing about illicit things, then that's what we're going to meditate on and that's going to be in our hearts. We need to take it back and we need to begin to take our minds over. And I said this a few weeks ago, my mind is my mind and I can choose what I want. And if I meditate in the Word, faith will drop into my heart. And I know this, you can't chew on anything without swallowing some of it. If you chew on it long enough, you've got to swallow some of it. If we take the Word and we just meditate, that's chewing on it, then all of a sudden faith will rise up in our heart. Last time we started talking about we've got to know where we stand. We must stand in faith and know that we are over the devil. We are over all those things that he brings. He is under our feet. We need to know that as believers, we are not beggars. I hear people pray prayers sometimes that almost make me want to scratch a blackboard because it would make me cringe less. Because they beg God for things. Oh God, please help us. We're not beggars. We're not paupers. We're sons and daughters of Almighty God. And if we understand who we are and where we are in Christ, we don't have to beg Him. He is our Father. And He loves to do good things in our lives. we got to know who we are. Not begging Him for things, but believing what He said. One time, my daughter, when she was a teenager, she came running into my office and she said, Daddy, I just want to give you a big old kiss before I go to school. And I replied, well, honey, you're too late. Your mama came here about ten minutes ago and I don't have any cash left. <laughs> we don't have to manipulate God. We don't have to beg God. He is a good Father. I mean, too much of the church operates in, in, in trying to manipulate God and beg God. And if I can just do enough good things, then God will owe me something. And you understand God doesn't owe us anything and never will owe us anything. I mean, we owe Him everything. He, he, he's the one who paid the debt, not me. And I can't do enough good for Him. And too much of the church operates in, in either a counterfeit faith or an imitation faith. And we're trying to impress, uh, impress God somehow. Listen, we're not going to impress Him. We just need to believe what He said is true. Uh, I read, some, a long time ago I heard this. Faith is like a $20 bill. You don't know if it's real or not until you try to use it. I mean, I've never tried to use a counterfeit one, but I'm guessing if you try to use one, you'll find out pretty quick. 
Now, I've used $100 bills a lot, and when you give them a $100 bill, they have that little brown pen, and they mark on it, and they find out. But if you go to the bank, do you know at the bank they don't use those little brown pens? They don't study counterfeit bills. They, count, they study real ones, and when they hold one that's not real, they know that it's not real. I tell you, we need to have real faith in the Word of God because we really, really believe what He said. I heard this also. Faith has no shelf life. Either use it or lose it. We need to believe the word every single day. It has to come from the heart. Now we've been taught, unfortunately, for many decades, that that that, that we live in the age of grace, which is true, but that what grace means is that we do nothing and that God does everything. You know, oh, it's, I'm just believing for the grace. I, I don't have to do anything. I just well, here, let me just say something. Grace always travels through the channel of faith. And when we believe God, grace is poured out. There's always a connection to belief and grace. It's His power. It's released and accomplishes His plan, but the channel that releases it is our faith. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Romans 8, verse 26. You know the verse. It says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. The first part of that verse says, Likewise the Spirit helps our infirmities. The word infirmities just means weaknesses, but the interesting word here is the word that helps. It means to take hold of opposite together or to cooperate or assist. It means to lay hold along with, to strive to obtain with others, to help in obtaining, to take hold with another, to partner with. What that says is that the Holy Spirit partners with us. He grabs hold of it with us. He comes along with us. He helps us do it. He doesn't do it for us. He helps us do it. The Holy Spirit is the helper. He comes and he helps us do it. Sometimes we get the idea that we don't ever have to do anything. We can just kick back and eat bonbons and the Lord will do all the work. He will do all the work, but our job is to begin in, in faith, allowing him to come, bringing his grace so that the, 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 the thing can be accomplished. I mean, he will take hold of it with us. Think about this verse of Scripture. This is from Second Chronicles chapter 20. And you know the story, and I'll tell you that what that is in just a minute. It says, Tomorrow... Go ye down against them. Well, what's happened is is that that a multitude has come against Jehoshaphat and and Judah. Three armies have come. And there's no way in the world they can defeat these armies. And so they fasted and they prayed. They had this long prayer. And this is the word the Lord spoke to them. He said, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Now, that's interesting. Now it's like, okay, we can sit down and eat bonbons. But that isn't what the Lord said. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. The Lord said, I'm going to fight this battle for you, but you still need to suit up. You still need to pick up a sword, and you still need to march out there. Now, in this instance, he said, now, I want you to send the praise team out first. I'd be thinking, Hallelujah. That they get to go first and we get to go second. <laughs> he said, send the praise team out first. Let them worship the Lord. But God said, I'm going to fight, but you need to suit up. And had they not suited up, had they not gone down to face the enemy, 
they wouldn't have seen the miracle. You see, that's the way it works. God works with us. That's how grace operates. I mean, we need to know we are above and not beneath. We are over. But that doesn't mean that we get to just do nothing for the rest of our lives. Grace comes as we believe. I've said this before. Grace gets on what's going on. I mean, you've got to be moving for grace to happen. You've got, you got to be responding to the voice of God, doing what He's called us to do. I mean, we are above and not beneath. We are over. We're, in, we're to fight the fight of faith because it's a fight of faith. And we release the grace that comes. We're the children of the living God. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. The Scripture says that we reign in life by one Jesus Christ. In other words, we're in charge. But we need to know that that's more than us just sitting around. We reign in life, but we still fight the good fight of faith. Last time, we talked about being created over all. We saw in Genesis and in Psalm that God created us, man, to be over all his creation. We're not under the circumstances. We are over them. We're not under attack. We're over the attack. We have been created over all. We saw that in order to do that, to stay in that, that posture, we have to live by faith. We saw last time that the purpose of faith is not to get God to do what I want Him to do. God's not there to be my heavenly butler. The purpose of faith is to get God's Word accomplished through me, around me, in my world. We saw last time from Hebrews 13 that the purpose of faith is to alter our age with the Word of God taking His Word, believing it, and seeing Him alter the things around us. The purpose of faith is to gain the victory over the world and the system that contradicts the Word of God. But we've got to believe what He said. Man, so this ties in to what I've been talking about with healing. we got to believe. What did God say? We need to believe that. We're, today I find that we're afraid of any subject that, that we hear negative reports about. You know, we need to find out what did God say. People are afraid of the subject of healing because they're afraid of the subject of faith. The word faith simply means to give absolute credence to a thing. It means to be sold out on it. Faith is giving credence to the word, accepting the word of God as the final authority no matter what the circumstances say. Giving the word final authority no matter how I feel, I decide that God's word is true. No matter what the symptoms say, no matter what, what the bank says, God's word is true. When we understand that we, that we are above and we're not beneath, we'll never be under the circumstances another day in our lives. We'll still fight a fight of faith, but we'll be on top. We've, we've read over the past many times we've gotten together that the Bible says he heals all. He forgives all. We've seen that to Jesus, healing and forgiveness were the same thing. He asked the question, which is easier regarding those two things? We've got to come to the place in life that we boldly consider that only what he has said is true. In spite of what we may see or feel. So I'm going to go, go a little bit more into this. Last week we read this passage of scripture. I'm going to look again at Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 17. Says that the God. This is a prayer that the Holy Spirit was praying for us 
Paul wrote it down, but the Holy Spirit's praying this for you and for me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I love that. I mean, man, that is awesome. That tells us, man, that God, the prayer for us is, number one, that we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we are wise and that we can see beyond what other people can see, that we have revelation of God's plan. I mean, that's what we need to have, that we can, that we can, that we can know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I mean, it's out there, and it's, it's for us. And what is the, here's what we need to know. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? The word believe is the same as the word for faith. Uh, who have faith? Who walk by faith? What is the exceeding, exceeding greatness of his power to usward who walk in faith according to the work of his mighty power when he raised Jesus from the dead? That's available to us when we simply believe what he says. That's what he's saying. Then he went on to describe this about Jesus. I mean, the Bible says here says that Jesus is far above all. Anybody believe that? I believe that. That's pretty easy to believe, right? I mean, we all, I think, if we took a poll, we'd say, all right, we all believe without a doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead, that tonight he is seated at the Father's right hand. Right, which tells me the Father's left-handed. You can't prove me wrong. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I say that because I'm left-handed. That's why I would say that. Some think that the battle between Jesus and demons is a hard one. I mean, they're fighting tooth and nail, and they're exchanging punches, and all this is going... Can I just tell you something? Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, 20, that he cast out demons with the finger of God. That doesn't sound like a very hard-fought battle to me. Doesn't sound like it's, oh, that's close. He's just like, bink, and knocks them out of the ring. I had an encounter one time with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and he touched me with, with his finger. It just brushed my cheek. And I remember thinking, it was such an awesome experience that that touch. But then I realized that with that finger, he could wipe out all the armies of the world at one time. And I remember standing there thinking, I feel sorry for his enemies because they can never withstand him. But Jesus said, I cast out demons with the finger of God. But then the Bible talks about the hand of God. Anytime it talks about the hand of God, it talks about one of two things. Either the hand extended to the believers, which is a good thing, or extended to the enemies, that's a bad thing for them. But then the Bible talks about the arm of God. To whom is his arm revealed? If he can wipe out demons with a finger, 
whoa, what's he going to do with his arm when he rolls up his sleeve? This passage we just read, it says that he, he talked about this mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I got to thinking the other day, why, why did it take mighty power to raise Jesus from the dead? Couldn't God have just put a finger up there? And I, I got thinking about it and I thought, well, did he just raise Jesus from the dead? Or did he raise all mankind at one time? At one moment, the arm of God was revealed and all mankind could receive the resurrection from the dead. And God delivered every human being that will believe the report, delivered all of them from the clutches of hell and from the clutches of death. That's why the mighty power of God was revealed. Because God was all about getting all of us out of there. Man, I love that. Jesus is far above. And everything, all things are under his feet. Man, that's exciting to me. But now how does that apply to me? Well, we talked about it briefly last week. We said, you know what? That's right. We're the body. And if we're the body, even if we're the foot, all things are under us. But let me just go on. Let me tell you what Ephesians is about. Ephesians isn't so much about Jesus being far above. Ephesians is really about us being far above. It talks about us putting on an armor of God. It talks about us living a life of victory. So, so let, me just, let me just talk about all the scriptures inspired. You know that. It's all breathed by God. Every scripture, every bit of scripture has the DNA of God all over it. It's all God-inspired. But the chapter separations are not always God-inspired. The verse separations are not always God-inspired because the translators did that. And also what's not always inspired are the words that they put in that are extra that in the King James are always italicized so you know they weren't in the original language. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read part of Ephesians chapter 1 and I'm going to connect it to Ephesians chapter 2 because there's not, there shouldn't be a, a separation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read it and I'm going to leave out the parenthetical descriptive phrases of Jesus which are inspired and are very important, but I'm going to leave them out because here's what the apostle is saying. All right, I'm going to leave out some italicized words in, in chapter, one, chapter 1 of verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and you who were dead? What this is saying is there's this exceeding greatness of power that God wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and in us when he raised us from the dead. That's the exceeding greatness of power. He rose Jesus. He rose us. We all were raised from the dead at the very same time. I want you to notice it says that this great power was wrought, was wrought, past tense, already been exerted, already is available. It was in Christ, in Christ and in me when we were dead. When there was no hope, God exerted this power and it raised us from the dead. Man, I'll tell you, this is important. This is how I know that we're above all. Now, let me read chapter 2. I'm going to read the first few verses of Ephesians chapter I'm going to leave in the, the, the italicized verses. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, in time past, this is talking about the past. 
It could be this afternoon, but it's still past. All right? It could have been on the way over here, but it's still past. It says, among whom we also all had our conversation in times past, our behavior in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. The next two words are so great. But God. I mean, this is the kind of but you want. This is the blessed but. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Now listen to this next part. Hath quickened us together with Christ. This isn't future. This is past. This is where we are now. And hath, past tense, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. This is talking about a present reality that exists for anyone who will believe it. This is not talking about in the future, even though it exists in the future. Right now, though we sit in this room, we have been raised together with Christ and now are seated in heavenly places in him. Can I tell you what that means? It means if he's above all, so am I. If he's above all, so are you. We are not beneath. We're not under the circumstance. We are in Christ. We are already raised up together with him. Man, that's exciting to me. I love it. It says we were made. He made us to sit with him. I mean, he was made sin. I was made righteous, and now I am made to sit with him in heavenly places. Right now, a present reality. I mean, right now, I am far above all. When the devil comes and says, I'm going to hold this over you, it's like, you're not holding anything over me. I am so far over you, it's unbelievable to you, but not to me. The only way I can talk to you, devil, is you can read the bottom of my shoes. <laughs> I am above you. I, the Bible, we, we read last week that God made man a little lower than Elohim, a little lower than the Godhead. We're not, we're not below the angels. We're not below the demons. We're not below the trouble. We are just a little bit below the Godhead. Here's the cool thing. The Godhead, one of us is in it. Jesus. God became a man and is in the Godhead. We are in him. I mean, if we understand that we've been raised to be seated in him, we'll never be under. We can't be under because there's nothing, there's nothing that, that could be over us except for God. Man, I like this. Sickness is under me. Man. Sin is under me. Circumstances are under me. In Christ, I am far above all. I'm going to read the next couple of verses. Then in the ages to come. Now, it's already good. We're, now, this is what's amazing. We're already seated in him. 
We're already there. We're in Christ tonight. A spiritual reality is in effect at this very moment. I am in Christ. But in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He's going to spend eternity showing us how good he is. It's already good. But he's going to spend eternity. For by grace are you saved. The word saved, we, we talked about it in, in other teachings, doesn't mean born again. It means rescued, delivered, made well, made whole. For by grace have we been rescued through faith, not of works. Not, that, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. But done in there. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus under good works with God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It's talking about how that, yeah, yeah, we are in him. And because we're in him, we're going to have eternity to have all these great things. His salvation, his deliverance, his rescue, his well-being comes as we believe him and grace flows into our lives. And as the grace flows into our lives, we know it's not about me, it's about him. So that... We can do the things he created us to do. So we can change the world that we live in. So we can alter a generation. Why can we do that? Because we're above all. There's no force. There's no demon force. Nothing that can ever stop us. The Amplified says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works. That's not sitting around eating bonbons. That's fighting the fight of faith. And that's taking the victory of God into the world. That we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. It's a good life. Man, that's what's supposed to happen. We are far above all. Now, the only way that can happen is if we understand that far above all is a position of faith. It's a real position. It's where we should be living right now, but it's a position of faith. And I'm out of time, so I'm not going to talk about that tonight. But next week, I'm going to, or next time, I'm going to talk about how, simply, how simple it is to stay in a position of faith. Faith is not something we can work up. It's not something that we can just grit our teeth and get it. Faith comes to every believer Believers believe. That's what they do. Runners run. Swimmers swim. Believers believe. We can believe the Word of God. I hear people say, well, I just can't believe. Yes, you can. You already do. You believe something. You believe you can. You already believe something. I'm going to show you how we can believe God next time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we just give you thanks for your word. I, I, I just really believe your word is true. I really believe it, God. Faith is for us to have. It's a life for us to enjoy. Jesus, you said that you came to give us life that's full and overflowing. And we can believe you for it. I thank you tonight for ears that hear. I thank you for revelation that comes by your spirit Lord, I give you glory and I give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.